Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema. My name is Tosin and I am your host um, in well in the UK in a place called Bromsgrove in the Midlands. And joining me, as always, on the Isle of Wight uh, is Sharon Bolland. Hello, there's only one of me. Yes, yes, I know. And I, I went with the R because I'm so used to it. There's two of us there. There's normally another person. Yeah, there's normally another person. We usually have Sharon Bolland and Sean Harris. However, Sean... Sean, after last week in which we kind of missed Sean because he was in Thailand and a bad internet connection took him away from us, this week, what we actually... <coughs> this week, what we have uh, um, is that I, I think essentially Thailand has claimed Sean. <laughs> I think Thailand has claimed Sean. It's not just the fact that it's going. It's probably what around one o'clock in the morning there at the moment. But I think I think that Sean's just he's just in there somewhere. He's just in there. He's been playing. The way he told me was he was playing cards with some people. I think he was getting slightly ripped off. Then he went to a football game where there were some ultras and it got a little bit violent. So oh, <laughs> yes. So I think essentially Sean has decided. Sean has. Sean's in Thailand somewhere. He's been, he's he's been looked after, and as long as it doesn't turn into Leonardo DiCaprio on the beach, I think we're cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're cool as long as we don't have that. Be okay. Yes. So anyway, for what we do in this show, Netflix versus cinema, we usually go and watch three things in the cinema, three things at home on various streaming platforms, and then we come back and we tell you where do we think our money was better spent this week. Was it better spent on Netflix was it better, or, or Netflix and Friends, or was it better spent at cinema? So, this week, what films have we seen, Sharon? What have you seen at the cinema? At the cinema, I went to see Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ooh. And I gave in um, on Netflix and watched uh, one of the early Christmas releases called <laughs> Love Hard, <laughs> which is a weird name, but it does make sense when you... Um, during my review, I'll explain what that's all about. Yes, yes. yeah. I, I understand what you mean by you gave in because <laughs> this is one of these things that they have been plastering. Like you, yeah. you sign up to Netflix and they just put in your face, Love Hard! Love Hard! It's like, don't you yeah. want to watch Love Hard? So... <laughs> it's like... Yeah, so we won't is, give up until you watch it. It's like, I'll watch it, okay. Yeah, it is, It's a, and it's something that I have seen the trailer for, and then I went, no, Netflix, no. <laughs> no, just, just leave me alone, Netflix, no. <laughs> Every year they have like a couple of Christmas films where they say, we are going to be relentless until you actually watch this. The thing about it is Netflix. Netflix seem to be somewhat. They're trying. They're, I'm not sure whether they've taken over, but they're definitely moving on to um, Hallmark's patch because yes. Hallmark were the were the ones who did the Christmas movies. That was Hallmark's thing. But now Netflix actually have a they have a Christmas movie franchise. I think it's like the the Princess Switch with Vanessa oh, Hudgens. Yeah, they've made a third one. I see. <laughs> Yeah. Is, they're essentially making a Princess Switch movie every year. I'm like, how many times can the Princess Switch? <laughs> and there's a lot of princess things. I mean, if you if you stray off the sort of you know the beaten path and you get into that whole dangerous tween land, um, <laughs> there's all sorts of princesses. Princesses do all sorts of things, <laughs> and all highly unlikely. But <laughs> the the Princess Commando. <laughs> so it's just like a, and you just think, why are there so many films about princesses? What is the thing? 
the princess ninja there's just the hundreds of them and they're all they're like princess and has a baby or princess goes goes on holiday or and they just seem to be films you think someone must watch them <laughs> making them but i can't think on earth who would watch that <laughs> I, I, I you see now that's what happens like i'll tell you who watches them who watches them is people who log on to netflix and are relentlessly browbeaten into <laughs> clicking play let's <laughs> give it up yeah Yes. Princess Switch. That sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> it's like you know what? I, I can't even fight anymore. Yeah, Princess Switch. Yeah, let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll watch that. We'll watch that. I did give in and watch the Christmas Chronicles. I think one of those because they, I think they produced one of those quite frequently. Oh, that was the Christmas Chronicles. That's the Kurt Russell one. Kurt Russell one. Yeah, there's that, a couple of those, and I don't. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if there's another one sort of will be sprung on us before hey. you know before well, too long. As I always say. From the actor's point of view, I do not begrudge the actors doing this because if you found something where people are going to pay you money and it's easy and you don't really have to do much for it, I mean, who, which one of us will not do that? It's like, okay. hey, by the way, come have this job. You don't really have to do that much. You don't have to do your best work and we'll still pay you. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there are my two, my two contributions, Ghostbusters and Love Hard. Ghost, Ghostbusters Afterlife and Love Hard. That, <laughs> That title is, I mean, the, the trailer is so not what you think the title is going to be. But, <laughs> but um, all right, I saw at the cinema this week, I saw King Richard, which is the, the story, the biopic of um, Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. And, um, and on, I'm going to go with Together. It's something I saw a while back, but I want to go with Together on BBC iPlayer. So let's start off on what I think is the biggest film this week, and that is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Sharon, take it away. First of all, tell me how much uh, how much of a Ghostbusters fan are you? Well, um, I it, I suppose quite would be the, okay. the appropriate word because I was the right age in 1984 when the original Ghostbusters film came out, and this film does definitely play into that nostalgia for that original film. Yeah. In fact, you would probably say this was probably a more direct sequel to the original Ghostbusters films and any other films we've seen since then that have Ghostbusters in the title. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I would say yes, because, yeah, I saw Ghostbusters in 1984 when it was at the cinema and it was the biggest thing, you know, and I yeah. had friends who were obsessed with Ghostbusters and one of them even had the nickname of Venkman because they were just that <laughs> big a fan. So I'm, yeah, I'm fully versed in the world of Ghostbusters. So basically, this is set in present day. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm trying to work through the math in my head because it doesn't seem that long ago. When you asked me when was 1984, I'd say oh, 20 years ago, yeah. and it's actually 40, nearly 50 yeah, years it's ago. 40 years ago, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's 40 years on, and we meet the the, the main stars of the film are uh, two children who don't know their grandfather. Mm -hmm. And they live with their mother, who is estranged from her father. And then it becomes apparent in the opening scene, because normally the opening scene is like a slightly spookier one. And yeah. then it goes into a bit more lightheartedness. So the opening scene, you, you see the, one of the original Ghostbusters, but we don't know which one. You don't, the, the identity of the original Ghostbuster is concealed. Yeah. And he is in this battle with a ghost. And um, he actually loses. And so it's not a spoiler to say that one of the original Ghostbusters dies at the beginning of the film, but we don't know who. Mm -hmm. And the family then inherit 
this ramshackle farmhouse where he has been living for the last sort of 20 years, cut off from the town. The town don't know his name. They never refer him by name. He's only referred to as the dirt farmer because he has these sort of apocalyptic signs up in his driveway and the barn has just been sprayed with the huge word dirt. So yeah. everyone knows him as the dirt farmer. And But he was drawn to this part of Oklahoma because of this activity that yeah. has drawn him to this particular place. Spectral activity, I'm guessing. This spectral activity in this particular area and this unusual seismic activity that in an area where there are no fault lines, where there's no fracking, where there's no other things that would account for um, earth tremors, there have been these strange earth tremors going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so into this situation, you land his daughter and her two children, a teenage boy and a, a young preteen girl. And they are suddenly thrown into this sort of small town in Oklahoma where the boy makes friends with, gets a job in this diner and makes friends with some of the local teens. And the little girl, she's quite a, a loner and a little bit of a science geek. She yeah. makes friends with a little boy who has his own podcast and his nickname is Podcast. <laughs> and um, they strike up this friendship and then as the story progresses you get basically move into for the Ghostbusters fan is familiar territory where yes. um, you have a, a ghosty then you have like a big bad so you have your little sort of comic effect ghost who um, causes mayhem yep, yep, and then yep. you have your big bad who you have to have a massive confrontation with at the end and there's all sorts of things that are going on that lead you to this this boss level at the very end of the film yeah. So I don't want to give any spoilers away because I think it because you, when you're watching it, you're trying to work out which one which one is he. Um, you can probably eliminate one. Yes. Yeah. Um, on purely sort of ethnic grounds. Yes. <laughs> I think you're unlikely to be his. Yes, I agree. Grand, grandchildren, well, well, but the others it could I, be I, any I, one of the others. I, I, to be honest with you, even just the oh, well, I think the trailer. If you've seen the trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. That it, I think it's quite obvious which one it is. I think it's yeah. quite, I think it's quite obvious which one it is based on what his grandchildren look like, and also, um, and the the and also the when you just the description you've given, there's one of the Ghostbusters who is likely to have gone into a dilapidated farmhouse in the middle of Oklahoma and painted dirt on the wall. There's one yeah. of all of them. So so uh, so very very valiant efforts to not give any spoilers. But I, <laughs> so I didn't actually see the trailer, so I went into it without having seen the trailer. Uh, Okay, maybe that maybe that is the thing. Just go see films without watching the trailer. But yeah. I think I think you are trying a lot harder than the film makers themselves were trying to hide, <laughs> to hide the identity of this Ghostbuster. But the main, but the but what we want to know is, does this give us the feels and the fun and the thrills of a usual Ghostbuster film, of a good Ghostbusters film? I would say yes. It has the humour, it has the odd sort of tingly moment where, because I think they're quite good at mixing moments when you're going, oh, that is genuinely a little bit eerie, with humour and then adventure and then sort of suddenly when you think something is going a bit linear, you think, oh, well, yeah, I can, yeah, oh, well, they're obviously going to catch that ghost. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and yeah. then on occasion, like, they don't. <laughs> and so you think, yeah, they, they, they have tried to throw in the old sort of left, the right turn and the old changes. So, uh, yes, I think it did. I think it did it well. And I think it did certainly generate that feeling of nostalgia but obviously bringing it up to date paul rudd is obviously charming as ever he's like a local substitute teacher and seismologist who 
sort of befriends the family. Yeah, it is. Okay, so I've seen this film. Um, Paul Rudd seems to be an audience surrogate, essentially, because yeah. Paul Rudd, from what I can see, he's a massive fan of the original Ghostbusters in this world. Yeah. And he seems to be about the only one who remembers that they existed and that there was such a thing as Ghostbusters. And so it, it seems like, essentially, he is the... He is because if you look at Paul Rudd, even though he might not look it, the dude is fifty. So yeah. he, so he, uh, he would have been around about like you were describing, like around about the age he would have seen Ghostbusters in the cinemas the first time round. And- yeah, well, I think we're similar age. We're both in our early fifties, yeah. so we both would have been teens during that Ghostbusters thing. And yeah, yeah if you weren't sort of, you know, who are you going to call? You would remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That song, remember that where you were. So there are some nice nods to um, the original one. Where I don't know if you remember, you remember the there's like Mr. Stay Puft makes an appearance in this oh, film. Oh yes, yes, the Stay Puft. There's like um, there's a couple of scenes in the earlier film where ghosts turn up, like to inhabit their former lives. And there's one scene that's quite a nice nod to that, where uh, a ghost is goes into a, a cafe for example and they sort of no one notices him until suddenly they go <laughs> <laughs> and the big bad is quite yes it's, it's yeah there's definite definite you can't escape it it is a as it is a, an homage a sort of a semi sort of remake replay but knowingly um of the first film so yes it sort of has and it has that sort of pathos Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the the missing Ghostbuster in this the, in, in, in this this setup, um, yeah. so yeah, I thought it to me it worked because um, it was a twelve A, so it's sort of, it's sort of family friendly, yeah. And obviously, it's, you know it because it's not full of horror. And I quite I quite like horror, but also I don't like to sort of be sort of sat there going when I'm watching. <laughs> it's like scare me, scare me, scare! Me. Why did you do that? This <laughs> is <laughs> I walk home on my own in the dark. And as you know, you've been down where I live. I live yes. in the, the darkest road in. <laughs> yes, yes, with, with some area. with some very very weak powered streetlights. Very poor, <laughs> and there's lots of trees and there's lots of shadows. So, yeah. <laughs> so often I think if it's going to be too scary, I don't want to be walking home on my own in the yeah. dark into a very dark road. Don't worry, so, I'm still here. Carry on. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I thought I quite like that that it's family friendly. So it it does meet that that need as a as a Ghostbusters fan of old. So for me, yes, it did work completely on nearly every level. I couldn't, I said I could fault it because, um, yeah, there's, a, there's almost like too many nods to the original, but it's still, you, you came out feeling good about it and you came out thinking, yes, it really was a good film. And I go the original Ghostbusters. And so it just made you feel nostalgic and warm and, um, that, in a little good way so i would that, definitely give a four that's good it shows at least jason reitman has done his dad proud because this is directed yeah. by the son of the guy who of it's jason reitman son of ivan reitman who directed yeah. the original so all right cool so a four a four yeah. for ghostbusters afterlife good good stuff nice to know that they haven't destroyed our childhoods uh, <laughs> with, with this but i do think that this this approach might be a better one because they try to do the sort of totally separate approach with the last Ghostbusters movie, yeah. which was the one with the all-female cast. All-female and Chris Hemsworth. 
Yeah, with Chris and I, which is a, as a film, I actually quite like that film. I think it's yeah, a good yeah. film. It's just it's 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 almost kind of like you know people are like, oh well, this isn't the Ghostbusters I remember. And it's like yeah, it's not supposed to be the Ghostbusters you remember. It's supposed to move it forward. But yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of unfortunately mostly man babies out there who, who complain that things are not the way they want. They're them. not the way they were. And, but if uh, you like the first film, there are I think there's. I can't. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but there are some familiar faces anyway in yeah. this film. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they clued you into this on the in the trailer. Okay. <laughs> and then if this. you stay after the initial credits, you have to stay till after the cast credits. Then there's another scene that is just a pure tribute to the first film. Ooh. So it's nothing other than a doing it for the fun of it. So you can't, if you get up and leave straight away, you'll miss a little gem. Yeah. I didn't stay at the very, very, very end because I know in the past with the Ghostbusters films, there has been a, a proper like Marvel end credits one. Yeah. But I wasn't prepared to sit through three quarters of an hour of grips just to, to in grips, case there was a best fine boy. <laughs> so Third, third chocolate accountant. Yeah, yeah. So I left after this this nugget of a scene. So if there was a very final, 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 final end credit scene, I didn't see that one. But All yeah, right. if you can stay to the end of the cast names, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's a little gem. All right. Cool. Good stuff. Four stars for Ghostbusters Afterlife. And now we move over to our Netflix area. So our Netflix and Friends area. This is something I saw on BBC iPlayer. And this was one of these things that um, was made... Roundabout. So obviously we had the pandemic. In case you haven't noticed, over <laughs> over the last year and a bit, there's been a pandemic, and the pandemic shut the world down. One of the big things that it shut down was filmmaking. And then when it started coming back little by little with pandemic things, people had to come up with clever ways in which to figure out how you can make something that doesn't need a massive crew or a massive cast or anything like that, but still make a film and still keep everybody safe. So this is one of those things that you you can see has come out of that. It stars Sharon Horgan and James McAvoy as pretty much a two-hander. They're pretty much the only people you see in this whole thing, apart from um, uh, the son. And they are a couple. And essentially, it's called Together because the first scene starts off on the day when lockdown is announced. And it's when lockdown is announced that you see these two people come into the house. They are... Uh, they are a couple, they're together. I can't remember if they're married or not, but they're a couple that, no, I think they are married. They're together, they have a kid, but you can see that from the first scene, they can't stand each other. <laughs> and they, they, they walk in and they're bringing in their shopping because they've just done an emergency shop because a lockdown is going to happen. And you see them sort of like talking and they spend more time talking to you as the audience member, talking directly to the camera than talking to each other. And if they talk to each other, they just snark. <laughs> they just snark <laughs> on each other. And then you have all these things and it's so well, it's almost like a play. But it's written in such a way that you start getting all these nuggets about their lives, how they got together, how they or how, why they have a kid, how the kid prolonged their relationship. Um, one of them has uh, an, an elderly mum, and it, and the, it carries on and goes on essentially through the year and a half of the lockdown and of the pandemic wow. and everything that goes on. And you keep you keep jumping from one bit, and then scene finishes, you go to the next scene, and then scene finishes and. Obviously, if you've lived through the lockdown, there's some things that you can kind of see that when you hear one of them has an elderly relative, you're thinking, oh, and there's a bit where like there's a bit where the elderly relative goes into a care home and they you and you can and it's just so well done. And Sharon Horgan is somebody who I first time I ever saw her, I think it was in Catastrophe. Mm -hmm. And I just kind yes. of thought 
And I think I, I thought Sharon Hogan. I was like, okay, cool. She's a comedian. Okay, cool. That's what she can do. But I mean, with Criminal, the the TV show Criminal, and this, I'm just going, oh my god, no! The woman's a brilliant actress. <laughs> she's she's a brilliant actress who just happens to be damn funny. And it's like, and it's and this because obviously there's nowhere really to hide. It's just them, and there's bit they both have bits where they're just delivering monologues to the camera and all you really have to work with is their faces and their and the emotions that they're going through there's a there's a sequence where she explains exponential and what it means when you know they said oh the virus has been growing has been spreading exponentially and she explains what the virus means what it means by the virus explained exponentially and what what difference it would have made if you'd shut down two weeks earlier because of the way it went exponentially and i'm like oh my god that's that's actually really cool so you can see it's a it's a drama with a lot on his mind because it wants to talk about the human cost of the pandemic what's happened you can see that it's a it's a drama that is that is quite frankly angry at the government i don't think that there's many people who voted tory who made this who made this who who it's like oh who's angry at the government but it, it puts forward its argument as to why this thing was messed up in a way that i think you can go okay fine this is not just frothing at the mouth this is actual so considered argument put forward and all that and at the same time as it's doing all this it's taking all these interviews to talk about what has happened um worldwide it also goes into like the 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 human element and the what it means for these two people who were on the verge of breaking up and were just kind of can't stand each other having to be shoved into a house into close proximity for a year and a half <laughs> and, and what that does to them and it, it charts the way it affects their relationships and how they might get closer than further apart and all that and i just think it was masterful i really really think that wow. this was masterfully done so i think it's still on iplay and if you can find it it's just called it's plainly called together i and saw I think, trailers for it certainly when they were when it was first broadcast yeah but i didn't see yeah, and I, I can I can fully fully recommend this. I mean, it is so well done the way they go through it, and they go through all the things that happen to a lot of people during the lockdown. Like there's a bit where James Zuckerberg has a whole monologue about how he started growing seeds and how he spent <laughs> a lot of time on eBay trying to find this particular seed because he grows vegetables now <laughs> and, <laughs> and all that all that sort of stuff. And it's it's just it's just really well done. There's even a bit where they talk about um when you're allowed to have public gatherings, like, you know, when they say, oh, you can have a wedding, but you can only have six people at the wedding, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. how somebody was feeling really guilty because they really, really liked the six-person wedding. And it was, so, it was, and they're like, I know you're not supposed to say it, but I loved that. It was brilliant. There wasn't hardly anybody. You, you could actually have the time to talk to people. It was great. <laughs> and, and it's, yeah, I, I think it's brilliantly, brilliantly observed. Brilliantly observed. And, Ooh, you know, I was going to give it a four. I think I've, I think I might just have talked myself into giving it a five. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's yeah, it's one of those things. I watched it thinking, oh well, this sounds like could be interesting. James McAvoy, he's good. James Sharon Horgan, she's good, and they they can hold the screen. And I finished watching the whole thing. I was just kind of like, Damn, that was that was excellent. <laughs> that was really really good. So yeah, I've talked myself into it a five. Go watch it. It, it will it, it will. You will not waste an hour and a half of your life watching together on um, BBC iPlayer. Right. And now we go back to cinema. And because we only have one more film, you're going to have to hear me talk again. And, <laughs> and that is King Richard. Now, the King Richard of this title is Richard Williams, who some people might know as the father of Venus and Serena Williams, the worldwide tennis stars. Serena Williams, arguably the greatest 
I'm going to say this and I might get into trouble if anybody listens to this and say, how dare you? But the greatest female tennis player of all time <laughs> in my in my thing. If you want to have a conversation with me as to why I say female, we can have a conversation about it. But without doubt, greatest female tennis player of all time. And this is a it's a it's one of these films that makes me makes me kind of like I'm going, hang on a second. They're now making period movies, period biopic historical movies about things that i actively remember happening the first time so so usually i'm used to like oh yeah this must happen i must go research this but i'm kind of like no i remember that yeah i remember that hairstyle i remember when that <laughs> happened it's like yeah i saw that at wimbledon i was like what the what, I'm, I'm that old <laughs> and a bit like you were talking about the original ghostbusters beat all those years ago and this is so it stars will smith as richard williams and this is a very very good film it is it is i mean you don't have to be into tennis to enjoy this film, but if you are into tennis like I am, there's there's bits of there's little grace notes and little details that make you go, what the actual? Because the the two girls who they have playing Venus and Serena Williams, they they show them when they're pl- practicing on the court, and especially the girl who plays Venus, she has the same backhand as Venus Williams, and mm-hmm. and the thing is, Venus Williams has a very distinct backhand. And when, when you see a hit in you're like, I'm like, whoa, whoa. I kept looking at the screen trying to figure out if they'd done some computer jiggery pokery to put her head on Venus Williams' body or put Venus Williams' arms on her body. Because I was like, that is exactly the same as... And it turns out that they hadn't actually learned how to play any tennis before they got the roles. But I think Venus and Serena worked with them and said, this is the way we play. And then so they just... But the detail in this is amazing. Mm-hmm. It starts off with um, Richard Williams going to like country clubs and all these sort of places where usually essentially country clubs are very, very white places. So he's going down there and he's collecting all these balls from like the coach and all that. And you can see him, he's a bit of a hustler going through and he's written this 78 page manual for how his, how his daughters are going to be the world beating tennis stars. And he wrote this before they were born. So before they were born, he had the seventy-eight page. Then he was walking around with people, and you could see him trying to get people, get trying to get a coach, trying to get facilities, trying to get all these different things that are going to help his daughters, um, help his daughters thrive in this area that essentially people from their background, black people, do not usually thrive in. So he, the only tennis courts they have to work on are in the middle of Compton. And if you've heard anything, I mean, anybody who's watching American movies over the last three decades we know that compton is not the kind of place where you expect a country club or tennis and so they have this old rundown tennis court where they have to clean the leaves off before they get onto it and there's like you can see that there's gang members on the basketball court beside the tennis court who keep trying to hit on someone on his daughters and he keeps getting beaten up because he's, he's trying to protect his daughters and keep the keep the um the the uh the the courts free for them to play on and it goes through all this and but one of the things i really like about this is it's not a typical sports movie so it's not kind of like you start here oh and the plucky underdog fights and then goes through the levels that goes through the levels and ta-da! this is really a character study most and weirdly enough not just of him but him his wife or who has had as big a hand in training the girls as he did and and essentially how he hustles, how he hustles his way in. There's a bit where he meets John McEnroe's, John McEnroe's coach. And there's a bit where you have John McEnroe in the background, John McEnroe and Pete Sampras in the background. Like John McEnroe's being his usual super brat self. And he's talking to his coach, Paul Cohen, and trying to get the coach to have a look at his daughters and say, just play with them, play with them and see if you will take them on board. 
and how they ended up going to Florida. And so it's, I think it's a very good film. I think it's a very good film. Will Smith is very good in this film. So much so that, you know, one of those performances where after a while you don't see the actor. Mm. You don't see the actor and you don't realize that it's, there were times where I had to remind myself, okay, that's Will Smith. Because he still looks like Will Smith but he doesn't talk like Will Smith and the way he sort of like goes about and the, the body language, if you've seen, I remember Richard Williams when he first showed up at Wimbledon, his body language, his sort of eccentricities and all that. Will Smith, I think, nails them. I think I think he really, really does nail. I was worried when he was originally cast as this, but I'm like, he nails it. People have been talking Oscar, but people always talk Oscar at any time uh, yeah. a, a film star, <laughs> you know, happens to appear in a film and not triple for themselves. Well, but, yeah, <laughs> where they just act. It's like, yeah, it's like, called oh, acting. Oscar, <laughs> yeah. And it's, so people are talking about that. I, I don't know about that, but it's a very, very good performance, a very good film. You don't have to be into tennis to, 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 get, uh, to get it, but to... But and it doesn't shy away from the more problematic aspects of his character. So there's bits where you go, hang on, is he a little bit controlling? Hang on, is he doing it for himself or is it actually for his daughters? And because Venus and Serena are um, their executive producers on the film, you have a feeling that that if somebody else had made this film, they could have gone into the whole thing and said he was horrible, he was a monster. So they don't shy away from it. They mention it, but they don't dwell on it. <laughs> they, they they don't dwell on it it's more along the lines of yeah no this guy did stuff for his kids but when you think about it it's still a bit crazy and it's still a bit kind of like oh, before they were born 78 pages and you did what and you yelled at this person for doing what and you did this and you do it and it's but it's uh i i really like the film i'll give it a four out of five mm-hmm. um and uh be, be, because if i keep talking i'm just going to start describing scenes from the film and <laughs> who wants that go watch the film it's yeah, there <laughs> Yeah, I don't know much about Richard. I'm aware of him culturally, as I'm aware of Venus and Serena Williams, but I've never followed tennis. And so I've never, I've never watched it. So I'm aware of it without, but so he he has sort of, he is on the periphery of my understanding of the sport. And I'm aware that, you know, he has, people have opinions about him. Well, yeah. That'd be interesting to, yeah, to see. It's the same as any tennis parent, to be honest with you, because the tennis parent and especially the tennis dad and especially the tennis dad when he has a daughter in the mm. women's game is there's a long history of really, really problematic and worrying relationships. You, th- you read about Mary yeah. Pierce. You read about, um, oh, oh, what was her name? Lu- um, Brianna Lucic. The history of tennis is full of of crazy people <laughs> sorry i'm sorry to use that word um uh, but it, it is it's there's people who when you hear about them you go you did what now even even nowadays i mean there's a there's a tennis player who is just so split from her dad on a coaching team called sophia kenning and you you constantly have this and richard williams the fact that he has managed to get to this this stage of his daughter's careers and at no point that his, that his daughters fall out with him at no point is this, there's there's something different about him, and there's even a bit yeah. where where you see him looking at other tennis parents, and he's he's gone out in in public and he said some tennis <clears throat> sorry he said some tennis parents need to be shot because the <laughs> way the the pressure they put on their children and the way that they're yelling at these kids and it's I think f- f- putting football parents at any sort of Sunday league thing where they're standing on the sun and yelling at them, and he took his daughters out of playing junior matches 
because he was like, no, no, I don't want to play junior matches. There's too much pressure there. They don't get to have a childhood. I want my kids to have a childhood. Um, and he was very, very adamant about that. Uh, uh, and he says they're not going to play on. T- they're going to play when they turn pro because he had that much belief that these girls are going to make it as a pro. And I think yeah. they, they, and the film is just really, really well done on on, on prior detail. You have like a uh, John Brenthal. John Brenthal shows up as a as a tennis coach called Rick Macy. And John Bernthal seems to be making a habit of showing up in, in like, you know, based on true life mm. period films. He was in Le Mans 66 or Ford vs. Ferrari. And it's just like, there was just a bit of me that when John Bernthal showed up, I was like, I am not surprised by this at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I think it is, it is a rags to riches story. Uh, but I think the way it's drawn and it's, it's just, it, it feels it's weird it kind of feels straightforward and also not by the numbers at the same time and i think it's because it is it's character driven he's he's the main character that you're following but there's still space for his wife to come in and his wife to say look this isn't just you and there's space for the children to come in and it becomes more and more of a biopic about venus williams and how she started off with serena williams who obviously everybody knows as the greatest one now kind of in the background and it's so i was i was fascinated by this film i think that the way that they did it and for anybody who knows tennis i just this is this is a very very inside sort of tennis joke but the fact that a toilet break plays a massive plot role in one of <laughs> in the film is so tennis. It's so tennis. It's unbelievable. And for anybody who understands tennis, you'll get what I mean. There was a big news about it at the U.S. Open with Stefano Tsitsipas and toilet breaks, and it's a big problem in tennis. And the fact that they have this big, massive plot point about a toilet break, I was just watching it going, "Yeah, the right people made this film." They and know their, they know their, <laughs> they know what the world in which about. it is set. <laughs> they know they know what they're all about. They know. So yeah, um, yeah, I'll I'll give it a four out of five. I would say everybody go watch that. And now we go back to Netflix and we go back to the film that was first mentioned on this podcast today, and the film that is probably going to have the it's love hard people. It's the love hard love <laughs> hard. <laughs> Love hard man. If anybody listens, if anybody listens to this show and has a little bit of an idea of our different personalities, Sean, Sharon, myself, and wonders, Love Hard? That doesn't sound like the kind of film that Sharon would be watching. No. So, so Sharon, tell us, you said a little bit already about how Netflix badgered you into watching this film. Tell, yes. t- tell us why. Why did you decide to watch this film in the end, well, besides the um, Netflix badgering? Yes, um, I thought it was just it just to me it was just sound like it was slightly different to the usual run of the mill hallmark type Christmas film that we get battered with every year, yep. which is like a straightforward you know a love story basically, and and it is that but it is with a bit of a twist. Um, but I thought it was interesting actually the the, t- the title I'll just explain the title, Love Hard because when you see the caption. There's love is in a particular type of script and hard is in a particular type of script. And that's because in what part of the film, they talk about their favorite Christmas films and one half of this couple, their favorite Christmas film is love. Actually. So the love is actually the font from the poster of love actually. And the other favorite Christmas film is die hard. And so the font is actually lifted. The hard is lifted from 
the poster of Die Hard. So when you see Love Hard, because it is this mashup of the two, their two favourite Christmas films. That is so convoluted. I'm sorry. That is yeah. so... Because so... when, when I first thought, I thought, well, that's definitely the love from Love Actually, because that's quite distinct. But I thought, why Hard? Why Love Hard? But then it, it dawned on me after I'd seen the film. I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> so it took a while for it to get there. But that's why. It's like Love Actually and Die Hard. Love Hard. That, that that is that is so such a convoluted <laughs> such a convoluted route to go through to get to something that sounds for all the world like a porn film. Yes. <laughs> so cool. Exactly. Right. So so tell us what happens in Love Hard. So basically, the the, the premise is the, the female star of the film, um, playing Nina Dobrev, Nina Dobrev from yep. um, Vampire Diaries fame. She is like unlucky in love, and she's so unlucky in love that she actually has a blog where she records. Her failed, I don't is it. I, I, I can tell my ignorance here. Are they like Tinder dates? Is that that's not the saucy one, is it? Uh, Tinder dates, yeah. Tinder dates is the saucy one. Tin, Tinder is kind of the one that started off just about hooking up and having sex, and then has somehow sort of morphed into an actual legitimate. I'm trying to find love here. This is like a dating app, so I'm not sure if it is actually the saucy one or whether it's just like, hey, we're going to meet up for dinner and then we're going to take it from there. But this was um basically she says. Uh, one of it is like they're, they're when you sort of swipe to say, yes, this person looks great. I'm going to be your match. Yep. And um, she's sort of is a really bad picker. And so she's noticed that how some people, their picture is like 20 years old or their, 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 their attributes are nothing like their actual person. Yeah. And so she, she's, she's been doing this as like blogging. So she's looking for love, but she's also knows that there's sort of, there's gold to be mined out of these disastrous dates that she's yeah. had. And so she does swipe on this one guy who it looks like her, on the surface of it is her birth, perfect date. He looks, he's really handsome. He likes the same things. They discuss the same films and music and they just seem to like each other. And then they've had, they started talking on the phone and like his voice matches his face and they just get on so well. And he just says, oh, I would so wish that you'd be with me for Christmas. And she decides, oh, what the heck, I'm going to go and meet you. But she doesn't have him as a, it's like spies. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So yeah. she turns up at his door, and basically, um, she's been catfished. And the, um, I don't catfished. know where this question comes from, but basically, she turns up at his door, and he looks nothing like his image. Yeah. He has been using the image of this guy he went to school with, this handsome, rugged, all you know, every what every woman's dream sort of handsome man. When he himself is like a quite a short. Um, East Asian boy. East Asian boy, I would say. I don't know what his ethnicity is, whether it's Chinese or whether, but he's he's of, of a Southeast Asian sort of ethnicity. Yeah. And he's not someone that you would particularly look twice at because he's not, the, you know, he's not, he's not he, heavy he, building. Yeah, he, he's, play, he's played by Jimmy O. Yang, who is like, you know, your tip, stereotypical kind of nerd look. Yeah, he's like a, a nerdy, yeah, a nerdy boy. And um, so, yeah, so... They then, they then the rest of the film is them, them navigating the sort of the whole dichotomy of like, you know, and she actually meets the guy whose picture he has been using. Yeah. And so yeah. she basically sort of lies to him effectively saying that when he says, oh, I love to go rock climbing. She's like, I hate rock climbing. No, I love rock climbing. <laughs> and so she does the same thing to him effectively, but she almost like justifies it to herself that actually I'm just being the, his perfect woman. Well, in yeah, fact, yeah, she yeah. doesn't. She's not been true to herself, and Ooh, so real life catfish. You you get to see you know how 
the lies people tell, the consequences there are, and that sometimes being on more true to yourself, you're more likely to find sort of true love. So uh, it's, it's it is goes down that hallmark fair. Yes. Uh, yes. But it does it for me. It was like a step above like the your the normal sort of hallmark type film because they normally are perfect woman who it's like it's, it's inexplicable why they're still single, and then it's like a perfect man and it's like how is he still single, and then they meet and it's like how we never met before we're just perfect for each other and then the rest of the film is like showing you just how perfect for each other they actually are yeah, yeah. whereas in this film it shows you that actually they've got their they'll be they they look like a complete mismatch but as the film goes on it's like actually this is he is your don't worry about him he is the one you should be with so you sort of are rooting for the underdog well, as I said, I saw the trailer for this film on Netflix because I saw Love Hard, and I was, and I thought, hang on, why is Netflix pushing front and center a film called Love Hard? I've already told you what I think the the title sounds like. Yeah, it so sounds like, a bit dodgy. Yeah, I was like, what the heck? So I, was like, so I watched the trailer, and the trailer, I was like, okay, I've seen the film. I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> I know you what's, what's going to happen. And, so it's and was, got the it's got all the Christmas things. It's got the overachieving older brother who like sort of dominate the younger underachiever mm-hmm. it's got him you know um yeah it's a like the, number there's the, like a christmas dinner scene there's a public denouement as it were where everyone does everything in front yeah. of hundreds of people instead of doing it in private christmas christmas rom-com pretty much it is it replaces it replaces the dash to the airport yeah so, so so all in all how many stars would you give it i would give it a three I mean, I thought it was a it was a step above the average fare because I've seen some of these ones, and you just watch them and you think, well, that's an hour and a half of my life. I'm never getting back again. Um, but so I thought it was a step above those, and I thought it was enjoyable, and I did genuinely like both characters. After a while, I could see, you know, I could see that they they it was sensitively done for yeah. all that it's load of old tosh. So I thought, <laughs> yeah, it, it's fun. It was it's a Christmas film. And without the ridiculous title, um, it, yeah, I thought it was a step, but it wasn't, you know, it isn't going to replace Love Actually in the sort of top 10 most beloved Christmas films out there, but it, it's fun. So yeah. I would give it a three. From what I can, from what it sounds like, it sounds like, oh, ooh, actually, I just realized that I just assumed that the Nina Dobrev character was the one who liked Love Actually and the Jimmy O. Yang character was the one who liked Die Hard. Well, don't tell me. I, I I hope it's the other way around because that that would be a nice wrinkle. But um, anyway, it sounds like the people who made this film also would not want this to knock Love Actually off off any perch. No. So so yeah, it's it's. There is quite a funny scene actually, where they just to remind me, um, where they are actually watching Love Actually because it's one of those films that references the culture in which people live in. Because yeah. unlike most films, people like they're just unaware of what's yeah, changing. Have... I've never heard. Of yeah they're hermetically sealed and on oh. this they're watching a scene from love actually and they're looking at andrew lincoln and one of them's going wasn't he in game of thrones no he wasn't in game of thrones <laughs> and so it's that conversation that we've all had yeah. so they are aware they were aware of like the cultural references around these scenes oh, oh, okay. so that i thought that was quite a nice touch where they were they did actually recognize that the film oh. yeah sorry no Having said that, having said that, there is something that is very interestingly done with. Because you know, I, I reviewed the Eternals last week, right? And in Eternals, there's a bit where somebody looks at one of the guys in Eternals and goes, "Oh my God, Superman!" 
And obviously, Superman is in the DC universe, not in the Marvel universe. And so it comes down to this. And there's another bit where somebody refers to, like, you know, Batman and says, oh, not only Batman has a butler and everything like that. And it made me think, hang on a second, wait. Are they saying that within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's a DC Cinematic Universe? <laughs> and I was like, what? But, but th- th- does that mean that S- S- Superman and Batman exist as entities? Do they exist as actual heroes? Or do they or exist they as, like, a, like, the comic book? The they're, comic book they're of fiction. Superman. They're, they're and, fiction. Yeah, and it was kind of like they put that in the script for Eternals to mess with you because I was sitting there going... How, how, how does he know what Superman is? He's in the Marvel world. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, or just, just along those lines, just along those lines. But yeah, Love Heart is something that I think that I might end up watching in the background on a day when I have given up on finding something else to watch. <laughs> it's like, I need to do something here. I need to edit this podcast. So while I'm editing this podcast, I will have Love Heart on in the background because that requires the minimum number of brain cells. Yeah. But, well, I watched it on my laptop when my mum was poorly. I had my headphones on. I was just like, when she was sleeping, when she was quite ill. So I was just sort of sat in the room, but I didn't want to have the television on loud. So I was like, okay, I can watch this without keeping an eye on my mum, keeping an eye on this. And so, yeah, it was a, it was an easy film for that. So yeah, do that. <laughs> All right, cool. Good stuff. So at the end of two rounds, we usually we usually ask each other how or how do we think it's gone today, and it's a little bit more difficult when you have three films in cinema and three films at home. However, with two films in cinema, two films at home, we can all do that maths. It's that <laughs> it's quite simple. But Sharon, how do you think it's gone? I think cinema has just picked it. <laughs> uh, actually, no. It's not. No, okay. no, cinema has not picked it today. We have a dead heat. Oh, wow. So it's five and a three and a four. Yeah, and a five four. and a three yeah. and a four and a four. So we had a dead heat, which says that we were equally served in both places, Netflix and cinema this week. It was cool. nice all round. So Ghostbusters Afterlife, King Richard, we can recommend. Together, can really recommend. And Love Hard, if it's a rainy day, you haven't got that much to do, and you want something that's not going to insult you too much, <laughs> it's, yeah, go, go for Love Hard. So until next week, when I don't even... You see, I'm just sort of like living from week to week now. Just checking on, uh, because Tuesday nights are the usual nights I go to the cinema. Just check on a Tuesday and go, what's in the cinema? Oh, King Richard. Yeah, I'll go see that. So I, I don't have a clue what's coming out next week. But we'll... No, I look to see if, if there's a night I'm free. I'm thinking, okay, has, is there a late showing that I can squeeze in? Yeah. See, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm with not you working on that. the next day. I'm with you on that. Uh, at this rate, I might end up going and watch a Saturday morning film. With <laughs> with my baby and be like, Yay, it's Saturday morning film. I'll come back and tell you all about Paw Patrol and <laughs> try and give Paw Patrol the movie a rating. <laughs> but until that time, it's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. And wherever in Thailand Sean is, I'm sure it's a goodbye from him too. So <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thank you.